Oregon's largest employer is expanding, big time, but it won't be in Oregon. Last month, Intel announced a $20 billion expansion in Ohio, promising to hire 3,000 people for two new factories, and that sparked big concerns in the Beaver State. But the decision wasn't surprising. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, Mike Rogaway, business and technology reporter for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. We talked about his recent story on what Oregon leaders were saying and thinking last year as Intel's expansion talk heated up, what the expansion means for Oregon's largest employer, and what it may portend in the governor's race. Here's our conversation. Mike Rogaway, welcome back. Thank you, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. So, Mike, Intel's expansion plans in Ohio were big news nationally. But how did that decision play out here in Oregon? Well, it, it was it was a, a, a rung a big alarm bell. Uh, you know, people I think oftentimes in Oregon don't pay a lot of attention to Intel. All their work is done in clean rooms. You know, on big campuses, you can you can sort of see it from the highway, but nobody really knows what's going on inside there. There's not a lot of cultural awareness of it. Until people do on a, on a uh, high level recognize that Intel with 22,000 employees is the state's largest corporate employer. And so when Intel says, Oh, we're building two and maybe as many as eight new factories in Ohio, uh, that got people's attention. Like, wait a minute. And, uh, is that going to be an issue for Oregon? And so it certainly got the economic boosters, the civic boosters got their radar up last month when Intel announced its Ohio plans. And it got there's a gubernatorial campaign underway, mm-hmm. and it, it got some of the candidates on on their soapboxes uh, very alert to to the loss of this. Now, it, this was no surprise uh, to anybody who'd been paying attention. It's been clear since 2019 that the U.S. was heading heading for a, a boom in in chip factories. Um, they call them fabs, and there's a couple reasons for that uh, that are related. Number one is that. Right now, geopolitical risk is concentrated in Taiwan and South Korea, where most of the most advanced semiconductors are made by Samsung in South Korea mm-hmm. and Taiwan Semiconductor TSMC in Taiwan. And people said, well, wait a minute. If something were to happen there, we're not going to have any pro- microprocessors for some period of time. And the companies themselves recognized that. And so they said, okay, where else can we build? Probably the United States. And then augmenting that, dating back to the Trump administration, there's been a push to to put about $50 billion into U.S. semiconductor research and manufacturing, you know, with the idea that China is is investing billions of its own to build its own chip industry. And the thought is that the United States needs to stay ahead of that. So, um, and part of that is is having more factories, these fabs in the United States. So it's been clear for a while this was coming. It's also been clear Oregon wasn't going to get any of them. Uh, because we didn't have enough industrial land. An older generation in the 90s when Oregon had its last, Oregon, the Portland area mm-hmm. had its last boom in, in chip making. It, 200 to 500 acres was probably about what chip makers were looking for. Now they want a thousand to 2000 acres and they're looking for economies of scale. Uh, you run your factories more efficiently if they're part of a big complex and particularly getting the utilities in and out. They need tons of water. They need tons of electricity. And it's easier to bring that to and from the wastewater coming out. Uh, one 
uh, site rather than a whole bunch of sites. So, and so like a, a fulfillment center, uh, but, but exactly, but, but for uh, manufacturing, this was already, like you said, likely to not be happening here in Oregon, but um, that didn't mean there wasn't discussion or chatter or kind of hopes and aspirations, right? I mean, what were Governor Brown's team? What, what, what were they saying and doing uh, behind closed doors last year kind of as, you know, we were still waiting to see what Intel would do? Well, so yeah, we didn't have any clarity on this last last month when Intel uh, announced its, its Ohio expansion. Uh, but we got a public records request uh, filled out of the governor's office uh, uh, just this week. And it showed that the governor's office recognized this issue and recognized that the land use issue, the thousand acres uh, that these chip makers wanted, was the big obstacle to further expansion. Uh, the governor's deputy Ch- chief of staff, uh, Barry Leslie, wrote a memo to the governor outlining how the state might approach it. And the the governor held a retreat with her staff for the last, at that time it was June 2021. So for the last year and a half, more or less, of her administration, Intel's expansion was on the list of things they felt they had to address, along with homelessness and the I-5 bridge and, and other perennial issues. Uh, Those are very perennial but, issues. So let's just put a, po- right. put a point on that. Um. <laughs> right. Uh, with the, but Intel expansion was clearly top of mind to them, and they recognized at the time that, that land was going to be a big obstacle, and they also recognized that there was no one in the state who could navigate the thorny land use issue other than the governor's office, that the, the politics, what, what, what the governor's je- deputy wrote is, you know, we need to evaluate the land use grand bargain. It's really, difficult to figure out where you would find a thousand acres in Oregon to set aside for industrial use. It has to be close to a population center. You you can't conjure 3,000 uh, technical employees out of thin air, put it out in, in Hermiston or something like that. Yeah. There just aren't enough people. So it had to be in the metro area and where you're going to look. And there hasn't been really any work on that done in the last several years. And clearly um, there there isn't any available now. And it's not clear what happened in the governor's office between June when they made that a priority and, you know, January uh, last month when Intel made its, its announcement. The, certainly the governor made no public proposals around this. So when you say it's not clear what happened, um, I guess it's what do you mean by that? It's not clear if if there were any overtures made or, or things of that nature. Yeah, the the business Oregon, the state's economic development agency, says they they had no communication with Intel about a possible expansion, and the governor's office isn't saying uh, what efforts she made. She met with Intel's new CEO in May 2021, and it's not clear what they discussed. That was an in person meeting. There are no written records mm-hmm. associated with that that I'm aware of. We have a, a public records request in. But you could see from the governor's perspective, opening the, the land use issue in Oregon is, is in some ways a political no winner. You're going to make everyone angry. Yeah. And so it may be that they, you know, did the calculus and saw that Intel wasn't likely to expand here, that perhaps Intel was committed to moving to another part of the country. Right now, they're very, Intel's very concentrated in Oregon and Arizona and to a lesser degree, New Mexico. And it may be that Intel felt it was important for all kinds of reasons to be in some other part of the country as well. 
Uh, so the governor's office may have made the calculation that it wasn't worth fighting the land use battle on something they couldn't win. But whatever Intel did, Intel's not the only one that was expanding. TSMC uh, is expanding, is is building a number of new fabs mm-hmm. on huge sites in Arizona. Samsung is building in Texas. A uh, contract manufacturer called Global Foundries is building in New York. And Micron, which is based in Idaho, is building somewhere. They haven't said where yet, but it does not appear to be Oregon. One nugget that jumped out to me from your your recent story that um, if people haven't read it, um, they should check it out, uh, was just the scale of manufacturing and its share of the economy in Oregon, I think, might surprise people. Where Can you just explain <laughs> how how important manufacturing is to the state? Well, electronics manufacturing is something like 60% of all our exports. And in terms of concentration of, you know, per capita, uh, Oregon's at the very top in terms of electronics manufacturing of anywhere in the United States. And we're the only state in the nation that counts a manufacturer as its largest employer. Uh, other states, you know, manufacturing kind of drifted overseas in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Of course, that happened to some degree in Oregon as well, but to a lesser degree. And a, a big part of the reason there, we do have, we have a, we do have a range of manufacturers. There's precision cast parts. There's uh, Greenbrier, Gunderson, uh, but Intel's a, a big part of it. And chip manufacturing didn't go overseas quite as rapidly, uh, in part because other kinds of manufacturing drifted to where labor costs were lower. But as a percentage of the total cost, labor isn't a huge part of what it costs to make a, a semiconductor. The biggest expense is these tools that cost from several million dollars to a hundred million or $150 million a piece for a single tool to make these chips. And so that's why people are spending $10 billion a piece to build these factories. Well, it takes a labor is, is, and it, it costs the same. Right. Those, t- these tools, these factories cost the same, whether you're building them in South Korea or Taiwan or Hillsborough, the tools cost the same amount in, in any place. So, uh, labor is a smaller part of it. And that's why electronics manufacturing and semiconductor manufacturing in particular remained you know in Oregon and remained a big part of our economy and it's not just intel we have a company called corvo which is also in hillsborough if you have an iphone there's a, a chip in there uh, a communications chip in there that came out of their fab in in hillsborough microchip and on semiconductor in gresham and then across the river in washington uh, wafertech which is owned by tsmc the big taiwanese manufacturer mm-hmm. they're in camas I want to talk about industrial lands a little bit because it's a phrase that, like, what the hell does that even mean, right? What What is industrial <laughs> land and why is it that, you know, it feels like we're repeating this every few years that it's, we never really know how much industrial land we have, it seems. Um, we're always assessing how much industrial land we have. I feel like we've had this conversation um, before the podcast, but back in the newsroom and, you know, years ago, it, it seems like we're always in some sort of flux or figuring out how much industrial land we have. So can you help us understand this? Yeah, well, you, you talk about perennial issues. Uh, industrial land is is certainly a big part of it. And it's not just Oregon. Every state has this issue. But in Oregon, as we said earlier, it's particularly thorny. And is a big part of Oregon's identity is the urban growth boundary. And the state right. has made it a priority to balance residential, commercial, and industrial land with rural and you know, farmland and, and natural land that's very close to metro areas. That's a big part of 
Oregon's identity, and it's a big part of our economy. We have a large agricultural economy as well. It's a big part of the city's identity as well, because you can get right out of town and be in a rural area immediately. Or if you're a restaurant, you can get very fresh ingredients right away. So this is this has always been a priority for Oregon, or it has been in recent decades, uh, to have this mix. But it does squeeze housing, uh, and it does and drives up the cost, and it does squeeze industrial land. And mm-hmm. what you what you're looking for with industrial land is the right industrial land, not just that you have something, but that it's available for whatever specific need you have. Economies change, and what works in the 90s may not be suitable in 2022. Now people are looking for larger, contiguous parcels. Uh, they want it to be shovel-ready. They want certain kinds of utilities available. But we talked to 1,000 Friends of Oregon for our most recent article, and what they note, and Andrew, you know this, having covered Hillsborough and Washington mm-hmm. counties, we haven't always used our industrial land for what people would typically consider industry. Uh, a lot of Hillsborough's industrial land has been gobbled up by data centers, uh, which capitalize on tax breaks that uh, Hillsborough and Washington County offer, but really don't employ anyone. And then it's also been gobbled up by uh, things both in, in Washington County and in Multnomah County by things like Amazon uh, warehouses, which also qualify for tax breaks. Uh, and then uh, other things like Top Golf yeah. uh, is a very popular entertainment complex that everybody sees driving uh, out the Sunset Highway uh, through Hillsboro. It's a popular place, but it's not industrial. But that was industrial land, <laughs> and that was what it was originally uh yeah. earmarked for industrious so drives right uh in, in <laughs> <Right>. industriously <laughs> long drives but i i remember when i was out in hillsborough mike i mean the, there's something like they were talking about 300 plus acres of land at the time so that again like to as you reported that's not going to get you to the thousand but it does um when you're eating away at that with Amenities like Top Golf, well, that's great, and that brings attraction to the city and 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 maybe the region. It's not um, it's not a huge job driver, and you're not getting any products out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, industrial jobs, you know, people like economists like them for a few reasons. You know, they typically pay more than your average, you know, working class job. You don't need a huge amount of education to do it, and they're more diverse. They attract, you know, a broad range. Uh, Eco Northwest has just done a study on, on manufacturing and it says that, you know, people from diverse populations, when they get a manufacturing job, they sort of move up a level in their, um, in their salary range as if they had another level of education than they actually do. So if, if you have a two year degree, you're making a salary associated with somebody who typically would on average, have a four-year degree. If you just have a high school degree, you're making something associated with somebody who has a, a, a associate's degree from a community college. So you're making more money. It's a more diverse group. And the chip industry in particular pays well. The chip industry has all kinds of people there, from corporate executives to PhDs. Intel says, I think it has about 2,000 PhDs. Wow. And it's Ron Acres campus. Uh, the chip industry, on average, pays in Oregon a about $150,000 a year. And the state average is maybe around $60,000 for a, a wage. So that's really good. Now, that's skewed up by these PhDs who are making a ton of money and corporate executives who are here. But if you're coming out of PCC Rock Creek and you go to work at Intel, they tell me you can expect to be making $60,000 to start. Huh. It's a really good starting wage with a two-year degree. Economists, economic development folks, they really like 
these manufacturing jobs because they reach a broad set of the population and pay relatively good wages. So it's always a priority to get them, but manufacturers have specific needs. And it's tricky because manufacturing comes and goes. Uh, if you lose a factory, there isn't necessarily an obvious place for some of those workers to go. You know, we used to have uh, in this region, a number of aluminum smelters that paid very good wages for very hard work that did not require uh, any kind of degree, uh, just the ability to do the job and in difficult conditions. But those smelters are all gone and nothing's really replaced them for those workers. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Mike Rogway, a business and technology reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. So, Mike, you kind of alluded a little bit to this that there haven't been any huge inroads into, you know, the Silicon Forest, as we call it here out in Washington County, um, in other than Intel. Uh, ha- has the Silicon Forest lost its shine a little bit? Our economy has shifted some. Nobody's built a new fab in Oregon other than Intel, which is a you know, that's a notable exception. Yeah. But other, no other than co- the multi-billion dollar thing <laughs> right. we've covered for, you know, a decade. Right. Nobody's built a fab since 98. Uh, and that fab never opened because it got completed at the it, during a sort of a trough of a cycle in the chip industry. And, and so it, it never um, ended up making chips. And now it's a data center. But our technology economy has shifted. Uh, overall, you know, electronics manufacturing employment in Portland hasn't, in Oregon hasn't grown meaningfully in about 20 years. Uh, but it hasn't fallen either. Uh, those jobs have remained constant and they've continued to pay more and more. But our technology economy has evolved. We didn't have roots in software, uh, and web services and things like that coming out of the dot com era. Our, our specialty was hardware and that work gravitated toward the Bay Area and to Seattle. Over the last 20 years, we have successfully developed that competency. We haven't developed any large, you know, software or web services companies of the kind that you have in Seattle or the Bay Area. But a number of them have outposts here. Apple, uh, Salesforce, Google, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, all have, you know, tech uh, engineers working in Oregon um, because, you know, they can't find everyone they need in the Bay Area. And it's, and so our, our software employment has grown steadily and those are jobs that pay very well. So what, what we call the Silicon Forest now, it, like the Silicon Valley is less dependent on silicon itself, you know, the raw ingredient in, in the raw material in semiconductors. The Silicon Forest is, is now technology and web services and, and various other kinds of things. You mentioned earlier that obviously some of the um, gubernatorial candidates have weighed in on on this development. Can you kind of set the landscape to, to the extent any of the Democratic, independent, or, or, or unaffiliated or Republican candidates have weighed in on that? And do you suspect this will be an issue in terms of, you know, um, our largest employer choosing to go elsewhere in the primaries or in the general? I, I, I think it's it's bound to be an issue. Uh, uh, Betsy Johnson, the independent uh, running for governor, a longtime Democratic state senator, you know, if she's spoken about this, I haven't heard it, but she's been very critical in the past about the way Oregon manages land use and availability of land for industry. Right. Uh, the state treasurer, Tobias Reed, who's running for the Democratic nomination, 
Uh, he pointed a finger at House Speaker Tina Kotek, who really isn't involved in land use decisions, but is a member of the right. of the Democratic leadership, as Tobias is as well, uh, uh, for not doing more to to secure uh, more industrial land. And then Jessica Gomez, who actually owns an electronics manufacturing company in Medford, really laid into Metro for not doing more uh, to open up industrial land in the Portland metro area. You know, Portland isn't the only place in Oregon. Obviously, it's the population center, but, you know, the Eugene Springfield area has a history, right, in, in this industry. And it has a bunch of, you know, land out in West Eugene, yeah. right? That maybe that would be a potential site. And it's got the university and this accelerated scientific impact campus. Is Eugene potentially a player in any of this? You know, Hynix had a, a major memory chip factory in Eugene, and that was something like 1,500 jobs that were eliminated then. And it closed about 10 years ago, again, during a trough in the, the memory chip business. The property spent about 13 years on the market before a small Ohio company bought it to make electronic signs. And I, I believe, you know, I, I haven't talked to them in a few months, but I believe they're proceeding with that. But we're we're looking at something on a much smaller scale. But yes, uh, to the extent that there is, there are large tracts of land available in parts of the state that are populated, but aren't, you know, so constrained for land availability as the Portland area. Yes, I think that's very conceivable. And, you know, Eugene is not so far away that you, as, as, you know, Heinex, this reason Heinex was there, you can tap into the supply chain ecosystem in the Portland area. Uh, Semiconductor manufacturer needs a, a lot of supplies. They need people to install and maintain the tools. They need the chemicals uh, that that run uh, the lithography process and the etch process. They need they need a, a lot of things. But you know, Eugene is far, but not that far. So yes, I would say all up and down the Willamette Valley is you know a potential target, provided the land's available and. I think that extends into Washington too, is, you know, to Ridgefield, provided there's enough land mm -hmm. that that's, that's conceivable that something like that could happen. I, what's not clear to me is whether or not the ship has already sailed. You, there aren't that many large semiconductor manufacturers in the world and it, all of them have announced recent expansions. <laughs> and it's, it's not clear that they're going to announce another set of expansions, uh, in the United States. It could be, but it's not obvious to me that that's going to happen. Oregon, you know, I mentioned earlier some of the, the smaller chip companies operating in the metro area. It is possible that those companies would want exit, want to additional smaller factories. And it is possible that the Portland area might be suitable for those at a size smaller than a thousand acres. So, uh, and perhaps considerably smaller. I, I think it's possible, for example, that what used to be, uh, Linear technology is now owned by analog devices, uh, also in Camas. I think it's possible they might build another factory there. Uh, and there are industrial sites uh, in East Multnomah County that conceivably could hold a, a smaller fab. We do have a, a thousand acres um, in the metro area, but it's a dog in nature park on the <laughs> Sandy River Delta there. So that's not going anywhere. Well, Mike, anything else you'd want to hit on? No, I, I think we covered it, Andrew. I, I I guess the question ultimately is Intel's not going anywhere right anytime soon. You know, you, you can't pick up these 2000 PhDs and drop them somewhere else. Intel's building plan 
in Ohio is a 10-year plan. You know, the first fabs there won't be open for three years, the ones that they've just announced. But industrial development is a long, long-term plan, and it's it's very difficult for politicians who typically serve no more than eight years in office, uh, well, for a governor, for example, right. to sort of think on those timescales, uh, I think, and say 10, 15, 20 years down the road, where do we want to be? And I think that's what we're looking at with Intel is that their properties in Oregon are just about fully built out. 20 years from now, you know, what does Intel in Oregon look like? And that's just a very hard thing for a politician to conceive of. But for the region's long-term, long, long economic health, it's probably something we need to be thinking about. Well, it's a super interesting story. And thanks for going behind the veil and telling us a little bit more about it. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Mike's Intel story in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the program. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. We'll be back Monday with a regular episode. Until next time.